We are back with another episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Will Harib, joined by Joe and Jack Wilkie. Uh, yesterday was a uh, very important day uh, for us uh, here at uh, the Think Deeper podcast. Our very own Jack Wilkie had a birthday. Uh, I'll let him tell you how old he is uh, or how old he just turned because I don't have any interest in trying to guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jack, hope you had a, a fantastic birthday. And I do have to know because you do a much better job than uh, either myself or Joe, as far as eating healthy and making sure you're not just eating junk food all the time. So did you get to enjoy some good food on your birthday? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, 33. Joe was uh, teasing me about being in my 40s. It's it's, it's not my 40s. Uh, 33. Almost and over the hill. Almost. Almost. Uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of listeners older than 33, Joe. Be careful here. Um, oh, I'm sorry. So I, I think I mentioned a few episodes back, my wife and I have birthdays on back-to-back days, which is really cool. And so, you know, one weekend a year, you really just got to let loose, go crazy. So we, we did uh, pizza and cheesecake and all kinds of stuff. So I'm feeling it uh, here on Monday, but that's okay. Uh, you got to hey, celebrate sometimes. Yeah. For our <laughs> listeners, comment back. Have you been to the Cheesecake Factory? Those slices have definitely gotten smaller. I'm telling you. Has anybody else noticed this? It's true. It's They're true. like half the size. And again, I like smaller amounts of things that are going to kill us uh, you know kind of hard to complain so hey when i'm going to cheesecake factory i'm i'm not holding back man that's true top i'm there three, to enjoy my, my top cheesecake. three restaurant cheesecake factory is where it's at man <laughs> so good anyway um so anyway for my birthday i guess i'm going to give give something away i'll be real generous here what um, a nice guy with our church reset series of episodes and this being the last of them the the fourth of four we last week uh, put up a giveaway on our Facebook page. Want to thank everybody who participated. I think we had like sixty uh, entries, uh, people sharing things like that. Uh, just a a really great uh, show, and we really appreciate everyone doing that. Uh, we've drawn the winners out here. Our three winners are Christina Aiken, Karen Painter, and Wendy Nichols. Uh, if you Entered. Uh, hopefully, all three of you are listening. Uh, send us a message on the Facebook page. Reach out to us that way. We will get a copy of Church Reset sent out to you. Christina Aiken, Karen Painter, Wendy Nichols. I want to thank uh, all three of you and really everybody who participated in that giveaway. So, go ahead. So, Joe did not win the entry, apparently. Joe, thank goodness Joe didn't win. But if they don't <laughs> show up and claim this because they weren't listening to the podcast, I will gladly take one of their copies <laughs> if they don't get it. What was the number? I think you said, what, 72? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think we had three at seventy. Those those three ladies, seventy two. So congrats, thank you for participating. Yeah, uh, Joe, you go ahead and lead us on this episode. Get us into our very interesting topic for today. So this week we want to get into one that I have been super excited about. Uh, we've been, I think we mentioned this maybe on the first or second podcast of what we were planning to do. Um, <clears throat> But for this episode, we have a, a really cool idea, I think. And I did this, I was working with um, a youth group in uh, at Golden Church Christ, and we kind of did something uh, similar to this. And the idea was, hey, if we were in a plane and it crashed, or if you got dropped in the middle of Alaska, and you had no money, it was just Christians, you had no money, you had nothing, um, and you had to build up a church there, what would you do? How would you do it? Um and what might you change about the way uh, church is currently structured? And the teens loved it. They thought it was a great idea. It was a lot of fun. We got a lot of participation on things. And so that's kind of the idea with this one is 
look, it sounds very arrogant for us to say, well, if we change church, but this is something that I think a lot of people put time into. We asked this on Facebook. We got a lot of responses. And the question really before us is, if you were to start a church, what would you change? What things would you enact um, or, or what differences would there be? And we each came up with three. Uh, and, and really, when we were talking about it before, we tried to keep it from one another. We were going to try to, during the show, kind of drop these where we didn't know. But there's too much overlap. Uh, and then when we talked about it, there really was overlap. We were worried that there would be, and there definitely was. And so we've broken along lines of worship, involvement, and eldering. Um, ours pretty much fell, yeah. or shepherding, yeah. And it pretty much came into that one. And so with that, fellas, anything you want to say before we just jump into the first one? I think we've—I'm sorry, Jack. I was just say I think we've talked about before, um, you know, some people might— bristle initially at the idea of oh well, you're gonna you're gonna change stuff you're gonna change stuff about the way we worship and I think it's it's something that's positive to question standard practices again I've used that phrase before um, just the idea that hey maybe we don't have everything you know as far as not doctrinally speaking but the way that things go the way that things are currently set up I mean that's that's the whole point of this of, of this podcast series right the church reset Jack's book and so I want to encourage everybody listening don't be afraid to question standard practices. Just because we've done something a certain way for 60 years doesn't mean it's necessarily the right way. Don't be afraid to, to ask, is this really the, the most effective way to do things? And to be honest, with, with this episode, when I was sitting down brainstorming my three, that's exactly what I did, is I looked at, okay, how is the church currently set up, and what are things that either aren't that effective right now or could be so much more effective for this discipleship that we talked about two weeks ago, the, the family culture, the family atmosphere we talked about one week ago, how can we make it look more like Acts, Acts 2 and Acts 4? But that's that's the, the biggest thing is don't be afraid to question the standard practices of what's going on. I like how you said that. You know, it's about it's about being better. It's about pursuing growth, holiness, right? Yeah. Right. That's growth. And that's what it's about is if you were to sit down and say, what is church all about? It's not for us to show up and be friends with everybody. It's for us to be a family that is pursuing the glorification of Christ and that is you know, seeking each other's best interests, which is holiness, which is growing closer. Yes, it's heaven in the distance, but it's living the best life now, living the most holy life now that we can set apart, set aside from everybody in, in culture, which is what holy means, right? And seeing how we could best do that. That's the whole point of the church. And, and so that's where this is coming from. Jack, though, I think you had a thought. Well, I was going to say, this is just a thought experiment. And first, I want to reassure people, we're not doing anything crazy. Like when we put this out on Facebook, a, a friend jokingly said, um, well, you know, bring a fog machine into the into the auditorium, you know, like the kind of crazy things people do. We're not talking about that. We're talking about change, structural changes to what we already do rather than big adding and changing. Uh, the other thing is I don't want this to bring up discontentment. One of the things I really caution people with with Church Reset is you can get excited about this stuff, but don't make it hate your, don't let it make you hate your current church. Don't get mad at your elders. Don't be that that thorn in their side. Like, hey, why don't we do this? These guys said this. You know, like, don't go citing and saying, hey, the Think Deeper podcast said we should do this, so we should. You're like, at the same time, I would say if an opportunity, yeah, yeah, if an opportunity arises, great. But also, don't be the the guy going, well, these guys are smarter than you. (laughs) Like, these are this is ways to think about what could we as a church do better, or maybe just consider what we do and how to make it fulfill its purpose uh, a little bit better. And so uh, 
you know. Hey, but if you are going to go to your elders, make sure you shout out the Think Deeper podcast so we get more <laughs> listeners. So make sure make sure you do that. That's what we need is is some church leaders very angrily listening to us. Like, all right, what are these what are these people what putting these in Yahoo's people's saying? Yeah. These young yeah. knuckleheads. Yeah, here. exactly. So yeah, it, it's definitely not an arrogant. We're going to fix everything that's wrong with the church. It's a eh, here's some thoughts of things that. You know, in the future, might be interesting to explore uh, to get this done and better. We might, so we might not fully agree with each other on all these things. I mean, I think we're probably going to fall on the same lines, but I mean, there's going to. Nah, Joe's really wrong about a couple of them, and so that's that's <laughs> going to be the fun part of this. You would say that. You would say that. That's going to be the fun part is I get to give Joe the business a bit. So, um, speaking of that, let's let's let you lead, Joe. Um, let's go into the worship uh, segment of of what we're going to talk about here, of things that you might change. Go ahead. Sure. Um, so first thing in worship that I would look to change, I mean, I, I had it on my outline when I wrote it out as rethinking worship and I had like four or five different things. I'm not going to do four or five different things, but I'm going to do two separate points. One is I would extend the worship service with no script. How many times do you walk in on a Sunday and you know, it's going to be two songs, opening prayer, song, Lord's Supper, song, sermon, invitation song. Not only that, you know, it's first and last verse of every song, right? Just about every time. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) it. The poor third verse, man, I'm telling you what, like everybody who wrote those middle verses just just get no, no publicity. (laughs) You hope they didn't take very long on the third verse because that always gets left out. I mean, they could have put like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and people would be like, who cares? It's going to get skipped every single time. Either way, Sorry, that's just a little soapbox. I don't know why we, why would we not sing the full song? That's a good point, Will. Either way, and sorry to subject everybody to my horrible singing, I would say go without a script. We did this actually at, at Lone Tree uh, Church Christ when we were worshiping there. And um, it was so refreshing. First off, they changed the script each week where it was not the same. Sometimes when I was preaching, I would get up after a song. We hadn't done the Lord's Supper. We hadn't done nothing. We'd do a song, scripture reading, boom, get up there. And the next week you'd come, and I might be the last one to get up. I might be right in the middle. It was different each week, so it kept you on your toes, but it was an extended service. So we'd sing maybe nine songs. We'd have maybe four prayers, a long scripture reading. I would preach, which is not difficult for me. I'd preach 45, 50 minutes. We didn't do a Sunday night. We would extend. We'd have basically a hour and a half, two-hour worship service. Um, is it long for the kids? Yes, it is. Was it fruitful? Absolutely. So I would extend the worship and not make it, well, it's got to be the five or six songs because people start getting Well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, it's it's the whole idea of you're not staring at the clock the whole time checking your watch. Okay, it's supposed to exactly. end at 11. Right. Exactly. Because you got the people that just, and I've heard this happen, they stand up at the back and either point at the clock at the back or they start holding up their wrist, you know, with the watch on it, pointing at it like, hey, look at the time. Why do we care? I'm just happy to be together. I'm just happy to be worshiping God. So that, as far as worship goes, that would be the first one. The second one that I would change, because this is all kind of in the rethinking worship portion for me, is just more male participation. How easy is it for 90% of the men in our churches to come in and basically do nothing? They're they're just passengers. They sit there the same as everybody else. They don't ever have to get up and pray, sing a song, um, do anything else. I fully understand James 3 verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers. I'm not saying every man needs to get up and and be a preacher, but they should be participating in some way. If you got rid of the script, that's how these two things are connected. If you got rid of the script and didn't worry about the time, especially in the smaller congregations, 
you could literally have every man do something in worship. Well, see, hey. 1 Corinthians 14 has that, uh, you know, when you come together, each one has a song, each one has a verse, each one has, or not a verse, but I'm, I'm, I'm misquoting that, but it, people are bringing things that they want to discuss or want to contribute, and it, it's total passivity now. It It's put on for you, the songs are chosen for you, the verses are, the prayers. Um, here's a chance like and it teaches people to engage of what am i bringing to this thing we talked about the potluck versus the restaurant currently it's a restaurant make it a potluck tell all the guys hey you're expected to just bring a bible verse you don't have to get up and give a sermon on it get up and read a verse for us get up and say a prayer for us get, and each week something different you know it, if a guy wants to read a bible verse every week great but if he wants to suggest a song one week, you know, bring a prayer, mix that up. Yeah, I, I love that idea. And if if he wants to expound for a few minutes on the Bible verse, he's been thinking about this all week, and he had a really cool thought. No, he doesn't have a 25-minute sermon, but he's got a really cool thought that, that struck him on Wednesday when he was reading in his daily Bible reading, and he wants to share it with everybody. That is so cool. Man, I'm all for that. But instead, well, I'm not a preacher, so well, I'll keep it to myself. I, I love this idea uh, for obviously a lot of reasons, but you think about what that would do for the young, young men, your eight-year-old guys, your 10-year-old guys who are singing every single week. Maybe their dad's not a preacher. Maybe their dad has a terrible singing voice, but he's getting up there, he's sharing a Bible verse, sharing a thought. Um, it, it will teach those young men, regardless of the, you know how young they are, that, hey, you are responsible no matter what you think your quote-unquote talent is. You have a responsibility to bring something to God. You have a responsibility to, to contribute to the worship service. It would it would do a a marvelous job of trying to get away from that 90-10 uh, split, the principle that we talked about where just 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And again, you know, everybody's talent does not need to be in preaching. Again, I don't have the best singing voice. A lot of people don't, but at the same time, it's about what you can give to God. So, Joe, I, I really like that idea. I think that's I think that's awesome. And last, and then I'll kick it to you, um, I think you're next in the script, um, or maybe Jack. But last, think about prepping yourself on a Saturday for worship the next day. How much greater would it be if you knew you were playing a role? If you knew that, man, I have to have something that I'm, you know, first off, you'd start thinking earlier in the week. But second off, it gets your mindset on Saturday night. What I'm about to do tomorrow is the most important part of my week. I'm getting to worship the Almighty God with my saints, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that I got to come. I got to be willing to encourage and to edify and to strengthen Rather than them. Rather than just showing and up and, and zoning out, basically. That's exactly it. So you really have to start thinking ahead of, I got to have something to share. They're going to be looking at me. So that's that's where that's from, is just to increase participation and get us actually thinking about worship. Jack, though, I want to kick to you because I think you had, I had some of this on my outline as well. Will had some of this, but kick us off on your point. Yeah, I'll start with the general version because we all had takes on it, and then I'll get to my specific take. Uh, but generally speaking, it's rethinking the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's a very brief thing. You know, it's basically the time that it takes to pass the uh, trays and, and all that. And, and you take your moment. Somebody gives a, a talk. You bow your head. You you know take your, your little crumb of cracker, your little sip of juice, and, and call it good. But when you look at historic church practices, that's not it at all. It wasn't taking a little crumb of cracker. Uh, you know, it was passing a loaf and, and tearing off and, and really enjoying and, and consuming that together. But the other thing is, we still call it communion, 
and and you go you know there's the scriptures of this being established but that you're you eat you're doing it together and it's you know first corinthians 11 there's so much in there about they're not waiting for each other and some are running ahead and it's like hey you're supposed to be doing this together this is important um and and it's the covenant that we all share with Jesus and his blood, which really echoes a lot of stuff of Sinai, of all Israel coming together, cleansed to the foot of the mountain to commune with their God. And and think about that root word, commune. Community, a commune, it's it's people together. There's nothing of togetherness in bowing your head and having a moment by yourself. It's we it, literally we are doing the opposite of communing together, where everyone has a moment by themselves. Is this is yours for you? Well, that's not what it was meant to be. And so when we say rethinking the Lord's Supper, number one, I would stretch it out. Uh, number two, I would make it more of a not a full meal. You know, it's not uh, that you would sit down and have lunch, but it would also not be a cracker and a sip because uh, again, you know, this is the feast of our Lord, the body and blood of Jesus. And, and yes, it's a reminder, it's memorial in his blood, but it's also a celebration. It's also, he's invited us to the table together as a group of people, not individuals. We've talked so much about individualistic Christianity, and I think this is one way we drive that, is we say your Lord's Supper moment is you and Jesus together rather than all of us. And so um, we're going to get to that a little bit with, with Will's next point. So I'm going to like ways that we could make that work. And so I'm not going to step on that too much, but what would you guys add to the Lord's Supper thing? The Lord's Supper right now, everywhere, uh, I don't want to say everywhere, most places feels very ritualistic. Just, okay, we got to do it. Let's get it done. Let's move on. The, the sermon really feels like the main event, right? Like that's what everybody's there for. And the Lord's Supper just, again, not, not everywhere, but a lot of times just kind of feels like, okay, that's something we got to do. Let's move on. And so I especially lo- post coronavirus. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, and that's what I was going to bring up is your little cup. No, we yeah, at least the congregation I'm at and a lot of places we don't we're still not passing trays. We've got the uh, little chalices, I guess they're called with literally my wife calls it styrofoam is, is what it mm-hmm. looks and, and tastes oh, like yeah. in many cases. You've got half of half of a sip of, of grape juice. And my wife's even brought up, you know, is this really what, you know, what was envisioned with the Lord's Supper? Is this really, you know, and we, we talked about that and it really doesn't seem like, again, half of a cracker and half of a half of a sip of, of grape juice is really it. So I like, I love the idea of, uh, of brainstorming, hey, you know, what, what, what does the actual meal itself look like? What does the communing together look like? But what I really would like to see, and I do think a lot of congregations actually do this part well, not all of them, is more so than just a guy getting up there leading a prayer, leading another prayer, leading another prayer, and moving on. Actually take some time to to center everybody's minds, and, and uh, I'm a big believer your mind should already be on that before you get to the quote-unquote Lord's Supper part, but sing a few songs. When I survey the wondrous cross, uh, you know, the one at Calvary, uh, have somebody get up there, not just read 1 Corinthians 11, but actually talk about it. Really do diligence to the idea of self-reflecting, self-examining, reflecting on the sacrifice of Christ rather than making it feel like a part of the service that we just have to rush through and get it done and okay let me let me pray let me maybe read a few verses in 1 Corinthians 11 and move on really do the diligence to it and again I'm, I'm not about making certain parts of worship the main event but you think about just truly how special the Lord's Supper is supposed to be and just the way it doesn't look like that at a lot of the congregations I think there's a lot of things we could brainstorm about that but really just emphasizing Focusing people's minds on where they, on what they need to be, giving more more time for again, maybe it's discussion, maybe it's singing, whatever it is to focus our minds. But Joe, what did you have to add? I just think we maximize the sermon. We spend so much time on the sermon, but I really think the focal point of our worship is to be 
the Lord's Supper, think about the guy at the back of your church. You know, we we pass the trays out. He gets it at the very last. They walk to the front. He's got, what, 20 seconds? Now, I know he's set in his mind before while it's walking back. But, I mean, realistically, by the time he takes the takes the bread, takes the juice, um, he's got 20 seconds before they get back up there and start speaking again. It's so rushed. And I actually, I know of a young man who, recently who um, left the church for orthodoxy. And one of his main contentions in leaving it, though clearly we don't condone orthodoxy and there's clear problems with it, they use leavened bread. It's like, um, guy, you're going to nitpick the way we do it and then use leavened bread? Like, come on, man. But either way, um, he left it because he, go, and, and one of the biggest things was our lack of consideration for the Lord's Supper. They do it big. And I'm not saying it needs to be the way they do it, super ritualistic, but they, at least they understand. I think they, transubstantiation, all sorts of stuff. I'm not getting into that. But imagine part of the transubstantiation that I find intriguing. I don't agree with it. I don't believe in it. The part of that I find intriguing is the fact that you take it so much more seriously. That's what we need from Christians is to take this seriously and recognize it may not be the, it may not turn into the literal blood of Christ, the literal body of Christ as it's going down, which is the idea of transubstantiation. But this is intended to represent something so much more seriously than did I sin this week and, and let me just focus on Christ and the cross individually. What if this was a time where we actually shared our sins with one another? We talked about our, our struggles. We talked about our, our walk with Christ. We had ideas of, you know, I was praying this week and this is what God put on my heart. And I think this is really, you know, this, is, this was an interesting thing that he pointed out about Matthew 26 or whatever it is. And we're sharing that. The communion you're speaking of, Jack, like how much more supercharged would that be if the Lord's Supper was truly a time to commune and to share struggles and triumphs and thoughts and how Christ and his sacrifice visibly and physically affected you this week? Man, it could be the greatest part of worship and something that's so exciting, and we relegate it to a two-minute thing that we try to rush through. We barely say anything, short prayers. You know, we barely take any of the meal. I just envision... Christ passing around the the unleavened bread and you know in the upper room and Peter just takes a tiny little piece. Come on, right? Well, why you think we about it in terms of that? percentages. Jack, I'll get to you here in just a second. As far as the worship service go, at most, what is it? 15 percent of our worship service. You know, again, you don't want to think in, in those terms, but it should be so much more of a focus than that, more of a focal point. Well, the other thing being, I, I preached on this a few weeks ago because preaching through Mark took me to the institution of the Lord's Supper. And how I, I really think there's like a lot of different directions that it points your attention. You look back to the cross. You look back to everything that happened there and the, the forgiveness of sins. You look uh, forward to heaven and to eternal life, to your salvation, to the judgment. And uh, you look around to your fellow Christians around you that, hey, we're all in this together. We've all been cleansed. We, you look inward and, and, again, examine yourself, as 1 Corinthians 11 says, uh, you know, you, you look upward and thanks to, to God and worship and, and all. There's just so many different ways to look at it. But I think one thing that uh, some denominational traditions have is they have a corporate confession of sin where they all, you know, say we, we confess what we've sinned, which I don't really think is a biblical thing of just kind of a generic confession of sins. But then the absolution, you know, that, okay, the the minister, the leader, whoever is up there is supposed to say your sins have been forgiven. Um and I, I'm not advocating for that, but a reminder along with the Lord's Supper as, as we kind of take the moment before and, you know, maybe if, if you do privately confess your sins or whatever, but a reminder to everybody, your sins are forgiven. Remember that because so many Christians, we talked about that on our Once Saved, Barely Saved episode, go around 
thinking, well, I don't know if I'm forgiven or not. It's like, what do you think the Lord's Supper means? Uh, like that, that that's the body and the blood. That's the payment. That's it's done. It's taken care of. And so, great point. adding that to the reminder, uh, and, and so just so much more emphasis on what we're actually doing, rather than the ritualistic stale going through it. You know, uh, the way that we, the, the way that it often becomes. The other side, as I said, I kind of had a more specific point that I might advocate for, um, and I'm. I've kind of come to this idea, not it's not an idea I made up, but it, this thought recently, uh, and so I'm I'm just putting it out there. I'm not advocating for it as much as I'm kicking it around as as looking at the merits of it, and that's a more closed communion. Uh, some some groups practice this to where it's only the people who are members of the local church can have communion, um, and if you're not, if you're a visitor, you're coming through. Sorry, this isn't for you. Um, Standard is open communion. Anybody who comes in and wants you know to take can, um, I would be somewhere in the middle. Which is if somebody comes in and say, "Hey, we're member," you know, kind of ask them, "Hey, are you members of the church?" Yeah, we worship at such and such Church of Christ in such and such state. Okay, but visitors from off the street, or you bring a friend in, you say, "This isn't for you. This is for the family of God." Um, because I, one of the things I think that's an advantage to that is our. Worship service has become such a an evangelistic hook, right? Bring people in and, you know, kind of, hey, we'll, we'll make it to where you like it here. We want to make you feel perfectly welcome. The sermon welcome. is engineered towards the visitors more so than the members, right? Right, right. And I want to want to make them a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit of, hey, I'm allowed to join in this, but it's not for me. I, like, I'm not, this isn't about me, whereas really, it's very easy with that consumeristic Christianity we've talked about in the last two episodes has been, this is all for me. This has all been put on for me so that I would like it and would come back, and, and you're kind of drawing that line and saying, actually, no, this isn't for you at all. And the other thing about it is, that way you're being a little more protective. Uh, you know, I know the argument is made that, okay, if if they're not saved and they take the Lord's Supper, they're not any less saved, and so it's okay. On the other hand, I think we should not be so cavalier with the treatment of the body and blood of the Lord, the memorial that we have, because he talks about in 1 Corinthians 11 of taking it in an unworthy manner. And it's like, yeah, an unsaved person remains unsaved, but still, it's about respecting God. It's about looking to say, hey, this is... And you go back to the Old Testament about the rules of who could come in and make sacrifices, who could join in the feasts, who could come to Passover, and and there was a line, you know, hey, Gentiles, sorry, this is as far as you can come. That's it. Um, and no, we're not that. There's, there's parallels, but it's not exactly the same. But I, I do wonder the mindset shift that would have of when visitors come in because then you get to know them and then you get to explain to them here's what we do this isn't really this part's not for you this is for the family of god this is a special reserved privilege that and it really is a privilege because that's something we really have to get back to thinking it and so again i'm kicking this idea around in my head but i i do think there's some very strong merits to it and i think you're you're hitting on a even more important point as you've already talked about which is that we have to stop looking at church as, I'm going to rephrase that, we have to stop looking at worship as an evangelistic opportunity. We go out and evangelize during the week, that's great, but, you know, if we can just get them into church, if we can get them into church, and then we hope that the 25-30 minute sermon is going to be enough to convince these people, that's not how this is intended to work. Worship is for Christians who have been, you know, pursuing Christ with everything during the week. They've been abstaining from sin. They've been praying to him. They've been studying. They've been hopefully fellowshipping during the week. 
And we come together and worship is a culmination. It, it's a celebration. It's, it is a, you know, just, man, it's, it's everything for the Christian where we come together and everything, all the weight from the last week is gone. All of the joy from the last week gets to be celebrated together. And we let visitors come in and we, we have this idea that it's for them. It's not for them. So that's not on our outline. But I think that's a very valid point, Jack, and this is a great way to get started. Like I said, I'm not necessarily saying we have to do this. I'm with you. But I think thinking along those lines, it certainly puts our mind in the right place of this being the privilege that it is. And that's what I really like about what you said. It's an interesting thought. It's, it's one that I had not given much thought to. But I want to move on. Um, I'll jump to the, the change that I had suggested as far as um, the worship side of things. And it has more less so to do with the actual... Um, call them acts of worship, I guess, and more so with the arrangement. Um, we talked before, I think it was a couple episodes ago, about how worship services and auditoriums are currently set up like concerts, right? Like like uh, plays, like you're going to see a play with everybody facing one direction. There's kind of a, a stage where, where one person is, is kind of elevated. And it's, it, it's it, again, it's, it's set up like you're going to watch a play. It's set up like you're going to watch a, a movie at a movie theater. And that's the that's the change that I would make is is getting rid of, of the kind of the concert setup, the the movie theater setup, and what that looks like, whether that be we were talking off air, Joe brought up there's a you know, having the chairs that are more so facing each other with the person that's leading kind of in the middle. I've heard of a congregation that um, they just have tables, you know, round tables that everybody's at and you know, whoever's leading again kind of gets up in the middle. But it's so much more of a family feel and less of a you're here to watch a show because again you, you we, we talked about it before you look at the way that most congregations are set up that's the way the auditoriums are you're you're there to watch the show the main event right the sermon everybody's facing one direction you don't feel very you know plugged into those around you as opposed to some kind of a setup where you're facing each other again maybe you're at a table you're you're looking at each other you're conversing this kind of speaks back to the lord's supper point this congregation that i've uh, I don't remember the name of it, but they, they have the tables, and the way they do the Lord's Supper is each individual table kind of does the Lord's Supper together. So rather than one guy that's up there kind of driving the discussion, you with your table of eight are, you know, you've got the guy that, that's maybe reading the scripture that's discussing it, but you, you're you partaking in it together. I thought that was a really interesting thought, but I, I think, and we don't need to spend a ton of time on this one, I guess, but I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on kind of the way that the seating uh, is arranged currently and what we could do to change that. Because again, you worship should not be set up like you're going to watch, you know, the dark Knight rises in theater. Uh, it should not be set up like you're going to, to some concert. It should be set up where, Hey, we're all joining together. Uh, again, like Jack talked about with communion, we're, we're side by side. We're looking at each other. We're discussing things, you know, with classes or whatever, uh, it may be the auditorium setup just feels very stale feels very like you're you're you are not plugged in with your fellow members guys what do you think about that that's kind of the one that that I would most specifically change when it comes to the, the worship service I think there's a lot of stuff about architecture and design that just says things that that maybe a little more than we give it credit for um, and you look at like some of those old I don't know if you've been on the East Coast like the colonial areas and some of those old churches that have like the pulpit in a balcony uh, and and really it was the the preacher was like so separate from the people and the man of God kind of thing and and that like sends a message and now it's so much more informal and he's down among us but as you said you know a lot of these community churches you can't tell the difference between that and a concert hall uh, but then in our churches we can pat ourselves in the back and be like oh it's not a concert hall but it's like but it's an audience you know it's a it's a theater setup kind of thing that tells you come sit consume go home um, so. 
yeah, I, I just, I think the mentality that would be different, you know, um, the, there's kind of the, some have advocated for the circular thing, put the pulpit in the middle. Uh, and so you're kind of singing to back and forth one another. Cause I mean, you look at the command singing to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you're singing at the back of people's heads, you're not singing to each other. Right. Um, you, you can't do it in that direction. And so, uh, and it's kind of funny because you'll have things in worship where they'll say, you know, look to your left, look to your right, or shake a hand to your left or right, and it's really awkward, right? Like, you're, you're kind of looking to the people around you, and it, it's uncomfortable, and I think it would be very uncomfortable to be facing each other. It might even be a little distracting at first until you got the hang of realizing, hey, we're in this together. We're here together. You know, we're uh, sharing in this worship. It's not an experience for me. It's very easy to make it a, an individualistic experience in that thing where you're facing one person up at the front. And I think all of this is, um, yeah, I think you just said it and sorry, I just kind of lose my train of thought here. Um, all of this is awkward at first. All of this is going to be difficult to put in. So even some of the things we're going to get into, but you know, all of this has this level of like, oh, I don't know about that. I think that'd be really weird. Do I really want to face people? And, and they'd see me, um, you know, what about my kids? Like they might see my kids, whatever it is. Yes, there's going to be a level of awkwardness here that is natural, but it will eventually go away. And once again, if you're thinking about how to edify one another, if you're really thinking about, I, I hate to maybe keep using this term, but like the supercharged Worship, I think, is intended to be that. It's intended to be an emotional experience. It's intended to be a, a you know, obviously spirit and truth we talk about. It's it's supposed to ground us. It's supposed to be a lot of different things. How would you do that best for one another? I think facing one another. So, well, I like that point. Um, I think well, that there's you think about the early house churches. That would just be, I mean, like if you've ever had a, a Devo in your house, everyone kind of in circle around the living room, it works. It's, you know, it's different than what we have, but it works. And so uh, the hard part is, as we advocate these things, as we said, there's a, there's a degree to which we'd like to see some of these things come into, uh, come into practice. There's another degree to which it's hypothetical, you know, in, in some sense, because some churches, it kind of is what it is. You know, you got the pews, you got the setup where it is. But as we move into the future, this is one of those things that maybe you get that idea out there and churches start rethinking. As Will said, there are churches that, that do the tables thing. There are churches that do the, the circular thing. I, I spoke to a guy where uh, they filled their auditorium with just those linkable chairs, and he said sometimes they line them up, sometimes they change it. Like, you can move the whole thing around. It's a lot more adjustable uh, to, to whatever setup you want. Um, and so I, I think that's an advantage that you can have. Obviously, in a bigger church, that'd be really hard to pull off, but not everybody is a really big church. And so um, just, I, I think it's a really valuable one to consider. Uh, did you have any finishing thought on that, Will, before we move to our next category? No, I think we covered it. I think we can go ahead. The next category, and Joe will we'll let you start once again, uh, has to do with with kind of the involvement side of things, the, I guess, call it fellowship, call it participation outside of worship. So, Joe, take us away. Yeah, this is going to make me a lot of friends. Um, this is This is going to... Come across very well. Joe with the hot takes. Honestly. <laughs> Our always, weekly hot take from Joe. Always. You know me. Um, I really would abolish kids' classes and youth groups. Um, and probably VBS. And let me, Ooh, let me lay out why. <laughs> Send your hate yeah. mail to Joe uh, specifically. Just yeah, to- that's right. Hey, okay, so let me preface a few things. First off, I would say maybe five and under. I'm okay with classes. A shout out. Um Sissy Williams, she's great. She does our kids' class here at Jackson Temple. 
fantastic. The boys learn a lot. They come out singing songs. It's so cool. Like, it's it's great, and she does a really good job with it, and it allows us, allows Alyssa, I teach, but, um, so, of course, it wouldn't be mean, but I would hope I'm paying attention while I'm teaching, but <laughs> it allows Alyssa to be able to pay attention more, which is very helpful, and that's nice. However, once your kids are able to sit still, and I would hope by six, we've all trained our kids to, it's not always going to be perfect, but by six, they should be able to sit still. I think they need to be in class. I'm more for a mutual edification church. Um, I think separating the kids all the way up, well, yeah, look, everybody's got great kids classes. We had great kids classes at Bear Valley growing up. Um, learned a ton. I get it. At the same time, how much better would it be for us to see our parents participating in class? Maybe this would be pretty good for the parents to not be playing on their phone or, or to be actually paying attention because, hey, my kids are watching me during class. That way, the kids get to see what it's like to participate in a class, and they realize, especially with the VBS and things like that, church is not about the kids. Church is made up of baptized believers. Kids are intended to be discipled into that or, or to be helped along until they can be discipled in their Christianity. Um, what's the best way to do it? Yes, maybe them learning through kids' classes. I know this isn't going to be popular, but I, I honestly think that them... Being in the adult class and then getting to go home with the family and discuss it, and the parents go, "Kids, what do you think about that? Let's play this back and forth. What you, you know, what do you think about um, what he said in this place?" And you know how to ask your kid age-appropriate questions. The six-year-old, you're not going to be asking them about the seven bowls of wrath in, in Revelation. You're going to be breaking things down and helping them along uh, in their journey. And it takes more of a parental discipleship role. As far as it goes with the youth group, I already said I started. And then, sorry, you're both raising, you're, you're both ready for it. Um, I've already, I already said that I've taught youth classes. I've done, um, uh, spoken at youth events, things like that. So am I fully against, am I condemning anybody? No. But if I was starting from scratch, absolutely I'd get rid of that stuff. Because if you're a teen, either you should be baptized, in which case you're part of the church, you should be participating as a full member. If you're not baptized, what are you waiting for? We need to get you there, right? We need to be discipling you. When we separate the the baptized and unbaptized teens alike, and they go in and discuss quote-unquote youth issues, look, I'm sorry, but there are so many times where kids have no idea how to interact with anybody older because all they've ever done is spent time in their own youth group. It's the same thing as public school. I have the same problem with public school. You spend all your time interacting with everybody your own age, and then they go they go to college, they come back, and if you don't have a program for them with people their own age, why do you think we're losing so many of them? It's like, wait, everything was tailored to me. I had all the fun youth events, and I had VBS and all this stuff growing up. Oh, now I have to be a part of real church where I don't get those things? Bummer. Like, what are we doing? This is, this is uh, we're making so many things kid-centric in our church. Church is not about the kids. It's about the baptized believers. If your kid's not baptized, get him baptized. If he is baptized, he's part of the church. Don't cater to him. That's my little hot take soapbox. Did you want to? So, I was gonna say, did you want to get into VBS before we jump in, or does that one tie in to? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it <laughs> ties all in. Out. Go for it. I'll I'll keep it fast. Look, what you win them with is what you win them to. I had buddies that I got to come to VBS with me, and I remember specifically one came to VBS great friend, came back to worship service and was bored to death after. We think that we're getting him in the doors. Oh, wow, he came. That's fantastic. He came the second time to the worship service where they weren't singing all the songs and getting to clap and do all the things that we would never allow in actual church. And he didn't have the puppet shows and didn't have the ice cream social after. And it's like, what is this? 
this isn't what I signed up for. I thought we were going to do that every week. It's like, no, no, that's just VBS. You know, this is actually worship. Oh, that's boring. Like, I, and maybe that's just a, a traumatic memory on my part. <laughs> that's what I think a lot of kids have. That's what happens is you're, what you win them with is what you win them to, bread and circuses. And we pull them in and we think, wow, they're going to stay. And I'm sure I'm going to get some listener that's going to say, hey, my friend invited me to VBS and I became a Christian because of it. To which I'd say, no, you didn't. You became a Christian because your friend continued to pursue that and other people pursued that relationship. If you only ever came four days a year to church, you're not a Christian. So you didn't get become a Christian because of that. They invited you there and then worked with you along the way. We could have done that without VBS, okay? So no, I think we spend hundreds or thousands of dollars funneling money into a kid's program that is broken and it doesn't work. And I just, I, I, I'm sorry, I have no use for VBS. And that sounds really mean, but man, we waste so much money on this when we could be actually doing real church work instead of just having bread and circuses for the kids. Not a Jack, you want to go first okay, or me? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll so I, I, kind of on the broad thing, but more about the, the class thing. I, I don't have a problem with it, but it's one of those things you can't just cut it off and do nothing. Because the other side of it, um, you know, you had said like kids not distracting their parents so their parents could listen. We've had a great thing with our congregation where at all times there is at least one, if not two, older ladies who sit with us. Uh, help out with the kids. I mean, because we got four of them, four and under. It's just we're, we're crawling with kids, right? And, so, and of course, I'm getting up to preach. And so, you know, we, we get that help. Well, I think that should, number one, be instant. Uh, like, if, if you see a young mother, go sit by her, uh, the older women in church, uh, you know, to help them be able to pay attention, to help them get more out of it. Number two, I the, the thing I like best about the not having the kids' classes thing is it takes the crutch away from parents. But you have to go the other direction and equip parents to say, we expect you to teach your kids. Because without these ki- these classes, they're not going to learn the songs. They're not going to learn the verses. They're not going to learn things. Here's some material for you. You better be doing family worship. You better be having you know family Bible time, teaching your kids, expecting your kids to learn the Bible, discussing Bible stories with them, whatever else the case may be. And so I, I think that is left to the church to help them get a curriculum. Help, uh, again, to look to the denominational world, they have the catechism right you teach your kids the questions you know what uh what is the purpose of man to glorify god i to, the chief uh, end of man yeah yeah the chief end of man uh you know and and they've got that whole thing of questions and you'll see kids in the third grade that can answer like 70 plus questions you know about theology and god and man and all that and we don't have anything like that and and you kind of lean on a bible class to fill in some of those gaps I am good with parents taking on that role, but you have to help them do it. If you just cut off classes right now, nothing would happen. And so I, I think your point can hold as long as you're building it out on the other end and not just totally letting the ball hit, you know, fall to the ground. That. So, Joe, largely overall, I believe it or not, I actually agree with a lot of what you said. Obviously, I work in, in youth ministry, so that might sound puzzling. But Yeah, sorry about that. No, but with everything we've <laughs> done, we have tried desperately to incorporate the – um, families, um, mentoring with the older older folks, which is well, I guess we'll get into that a little bit later. So, um, I, I I actually am 100% on board with the really middle schoolers and high schoolers, the teenagers being. Uh, I'm a big believer. We have such such low expectations for middle schoolers and high schoolers, and we've talked about that before. They don't, you know, the, the idea that they can't take their Bible and and learn some elements of exegesis and learn, okay, what is this passage saying, and 
and you know, get, getting them in an adult class that's going over a scripture, talking about real life things. The idea that a 16 year old can't do that is just ridiculous. Um, so I agree with you there. Here's my counterpoint, I guess you might call it, and it really is a question because you said five, and I know you, you might not want to quibble over the ages, but let's let's take an eight to ten year old, not a Christian. Um, how do you have the because you even brought up, you know, you ask them age appropriate questions. How do you have the the classes for the adults that maybe talk about things that are not age appropriate for an eight to ten year old, you know, one flesh union in marriage, or maybe just some really difficult and controversial things? Because we've we've belabored the point before that sermons are one size fits all. If you have every age in a class, how is that any different? And how how do you not make it a one size fits all type of thing? Because we've talked also before about people are at different spiritual levels. And so you've got a 75 year old that's in class and a 10 year old in class that's maybe not baptized. That teacher better be really, really good at what he's doing in order to make whatever he's teaching fit, make sense, apply to the 10-year-old and also the 75-year-old. I guess my question is, how does that work? What what would that look like under this vision? So initially, I got a few thoughts on this. First off, initially, I agree with Reaganomics, which is the trickle-down effect. You speak to the 75-year-old and hope that his parents, the 10-year-old's parents, not the, not the 75-year-old's parents. <laughs> <laughs> let me take let me take you aside and explain. Yeah, exactly, his 99-year-old mother. Um, no, the parents of the 10-year-old ought to be listening they are, if if they don't understand it, they need to be asking questions and figuring out so they can then kind of pass down the information to the ten year old. You do not speak to the ten year old. This is the same way I do with preaching. I expect I don't I don't preach at the youngest. I preach at the wisest and the oldest. You know as much as I can. I'm, I'm certainly not the wisest and oldest, and so, but I try to give as much. Um, as you don't I can, water it down, hoping that words. it'll trickle down. Yep. Correct, and it'll trickle down. And everybody will get something, but that means the parents may have to to kind of get this in bite-sized pieces for their kid. So that's what I'd say first. That's Deuteronomy 6, right? You know, Moses saying, I'm giving you the law. You go home and teach it and practice it, and then your kids are going to ask, why do we do this? And then then you explain and tell them why. Right. What I would say about the having the 10-year-old and and discussing difficult topics. Also, a couple thoughts on this. First off. Kids know way more, and I'm not saying we need to be discussing the the all the aspects of um, you know a marriage union and things like that with an eight year old. At the same time, look, man, I've worked with kids that got into porn at six years old. We act like oh, we can't begin to discuss these things until they're fifteen, sixteen years old, which I don't agree Maloney. with, by the way, at all. Well, correct. I know you don't. Yeah. I'll say this, you know, at third, fourth grade Bible classes, you know, we had like a daily Bible reading program, and I I did. You know, every day for a year, read a chapter or whatever else. I read Genesis 38 oh, and uh, Ju- uh, uh, Tamar. Yeah. I read uh, <laughs> Lot and his daughters. I, I read Judges and the concubine. I read, you know, it's like, I didn't know everything that's going on. I don't have the full picture, but it's also kind of like, well, you know, it, it's it's there. And so, like, if, if you're going to tell an, an eight or nine-year-old to do daily Bible reading, you do sure. expect that's, that's going to come up. And so... Um, handling that in in a proper way in a bible class i I don't think is is too much for them in in a sense right i don't think you get graphic with anything i mean this is it's not for the church to teach their kids sex ed and things like that um at the same time you know maybe not on the sex ed thing but there are some difficult topics that 
how much would a kid benefit by really having a deep discussion on MDR, marriage, divorce, or remarriage, sure. yeah. women's roles, things like that that are like, oh, well, you know, it's tough for kids. Hey, that would be huge for them. So and I, I think would that say, would also, off, we, I'm sorry, I, just, I think that would also go a long way to this whole notion, oh, well, kids, kids don't really, they don't talk when adults are in the room because they don't really know how to talk to adults. It's like, I wonder why that is. It's probably because we always yeah. pull them away from the adults. And so, I again, overall, I agree with you. I just think there's maybe some... I don't know, logistical aspects, I guess, that would have to be worked through. Right. The second thing I would say, and then we'll move on, um, is, hey, if you have some really difficult things to discuss, have families over in your in your home or whatever it may be. Have a family or families over. Have some times where maybe you could let the kids go play or, or put the kids down or whatever. Um, talk amongst yourselves in those situations as well if there's some things. Because I also think that makes for a closer bond and, and tie instead of just having Bible classes on it. So that would be my answer to that. It's not a perfect answer. I realize this is first off never going to happen. Second off, um, you know, in most places and, and second off that there are some challenges to it, but I think the challenges we could navigate through those and the good of getting rid far outweighs the bad in my opinion, but we'll move on here. Because yeah. Now that you've sufficiently made everybody mad enough, probably let's go to one that, that's listeners. a little more, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go to one that's a little more agreeable uh, with Will. Go ahead. Yeah. So one of the things that, and that I would want to implement and I'd want to stay away from a programmy type of feel. Cause you know, I'm not a big fan of those, but I'm a big believer in getting the church family in the church family's homes. Uh, you know, you read that next two, you read that next four. They were with each other daily in each other's homes, and we don't see a lot of that. We talked about that before. So what I one of the and this I guess is one of the more practical things that I would try to do. Uh, I'm on board with the extending the worship service and on Sunday morning, like we've already talked about. One of the things that I think would be really cool to try is on Sunday nights, or you could even say Wednesday nights or any night of the week, you designate a a somebody's home that is basically the the come and go house for the evening. Take Sunday afternoons. And say, hey, from 3 o'clock on, our house is going to be open. Anybody that wants to come, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have, you can do it one of two ways. We're either going to have a meal at this time or, hey, it's really expensive to feed everybody. Hey, everybody bring your own food and we'll eat at this time. You could have singing. You could do another Bible study. Um, it could be open to really whatever the, the hosting family wanted to do. But it's an opportunity for more time to be spent together, more time getting to know one another. You wouldn't even have to do a Bible study. Have something where you're just you're getting together talking. Maybe the guys like to watch football. You're, you're together on a Sunday night watching football. Whatever it is, it's getting families in each other's homes. And you designate, you have a rotation where this Sunday it's going to be X family. Their home is going to be open from 3 to 9 or 3 to 10, whatever it is. The next Sunday night, it's it's another family. The next Sunday, and again, it could be Wednesday night, anything. But something that gets gets people in each other's homes way more than what we're doing now. And let's be honest, I think most people would really, really appreciate the the fact that, that, that you're in each other's homes. Again, that's where people are more vulnerable. That's where people are more personal. Um, gets you out of just the, well, we can only talk about church things in the church building type of mindset. Um, so again, that's not super fleshed out, but I think that that would be a really cool um, concept to implement is, hey, Sunday nights or Sunday afternoons, 3 p.m. on, our house is open. Come and go, you, you know, no obligation. Nobody's going to judge you if you don't show up, but hey, we want to be together. Uh, we want you to be there. If you can only come from 3 to 6, cool. If you can only be there after 7, cool. Come on, join us. You know, something like that. Uh, but Jack, what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a great idea. I, when we put this out to get people's suggestions, something that came up and, and something I just hear from people a lot is, 
We need more fellowship. Sunday needs to be bigger. Sunday needs to be family time, the family reunion of the church. And so something like that, I, I agree with you about each other's homes, you know, that, that that's an important thing as well. Uh, and so we need to really be looking for opportunities like that, figuring out how do we get together, how are we going to spend this time, how can we make Sunday more than just show up, as, as Joe said, kind of song, song, prayer, song, song, Lord's Supper, song, sermon, go home, uh, and make it to where there's there's just that breathing room for fellowship. Right. We've talked so much about how fellowship is not asking somebody how they're doing in the foyer on your way in. It's sitting down and how's work going? You know what what's going on in your life? You got you know what what you guys have been up to? How are the kids doing? Things like that. And you have to have the the settings for that to happen. And so the the Sunday night. Uh, open house thing, we we had done something at my previous congregation. We did it here, um, uh, of of a Monday night open house where we just Monday nights anybody who wants to come for dinner can. We've got a meal provided. As as you mentioned, you know, food especially these days can be really expensive to feed people. Something I advocated for in church reset was if you've got people who really want to do this and and want to have hospitality, want to open their house up to the church and the kind of thing you said. I would literally encourage them, hold money back out of your contribution and put it toward that. You know what? If, if it's hard to meet your contribution and do this, money's tight, don't put it into the—because you're contributing to the work of the church by doing that. And so um, your idea here of, of just opening it up, letting Christians come spend time together, you said no obligation because there's going to be some weeks— we got to go do something. We've got a, a thing with our, our our physical family. We've got you know a, a work obligation. I, I can't make it. But if it's always there, if there's always an opportunity where you can direct people that Sunday morning to say, "Hey, the hangout's going to be here tonight," and they can make it, even even if they can make it two weeks a month, great. You know, like that. Right. How just, cool would that be? I, I, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I, and I th- obviously, it'd be a tad bit more difficult at a, at a larger congregation just because houses don't fit that you know that many people but i think it could be done put everybody in the backyard you know I, I, the point is i think you could you could brainstorm and figure out a way to make it work because again overall largely speaking we're not in each other's homes near as much as we should be so i think this would be something that'd be really cool to at least try to implement joe what any thoughts on that no i i think that's great the purpose is to spend as much time together as possible and that would be one really good way to do it. We're looking to do something like that at Jackson Temple here. Um, and it's exciting, honestly. We love each other. We like spending time already. So why would we not want to do it in the comfort of the, of the home? And not even putting the pressure of it. There always has to be a major Devo done. Not necessarily. Hey, let's get together sing right. some songs. Or or let's just get together and pray. Or even if not, just that time of fellowship, sharing a meal together, you know, breaking bread as we see in Acts 2, 42, and following, you know, the, the breaking bread with one another. It's exciting. Uh, and, and that's what helps get us kind of through the week. Uh, otherwise, I don't really have anything else on I, I, that one. Okay, I'm going to roll that into mine just briefly because, you know, we've, we were on this involvement one kind of longer. I would have a designated few people, and it should start with the elders, but you could have some, maybe some mature people uh, in the church who, maybe not the elders, but, but others, who are hospitality leaders who are expected to have people over at least a couple times a month. Um, people who just kind of take that on and say, I'm going to invite church members over to my house because, and in that one-on-one setting, because I like the open fellowship thing that Will is discussing, but I also like the idea of you can sit across the table and, and even if, maybe even give a script to people and say, you know, ask people these questions, get to know them in these ways, but have that question, how's your spiritual life going? How can we pray for you? What's going on in your family? How's work? How are the kids? 
Like have uh, because I, I mentioned last week on the fellowship's good, spiritual fellowship's better, personal spiritual fellowship is what we have to have. And so I think this is the way you do that is by having uh, leadership take on that role of hospitality of I'm going to invite them over to my house for a meal or I'm going to go visit them and, and pr- you really get to know them with these probing questions. Um, and, and so really uh, have something that's, that, that's part of the work of the church is there's a full expectation on certain people. This is something we expect of you twice a month to either have people in your home or go be in their home and and challenge them, ask them these questions about their walk, you know, see how they're doing, take care of them. And, you know, on the surface, it's like, man, that kind of is a bummer that we really have to have a program for something like that. But at the same time, again, we're not doing it. So it would be great yeah. to, to start somewhere. Uh, yeah, and less – I mean, it would it might look a little bit like a program, but really it's just you're expecting elders and, and right. mature people to do stuff that God always expected them to do. That's in the elders' qualifications, right. Right. And to show that it can be done. So they start mentoring and discipling other people to be able to do the exact same thing so that in a year – it's like, man, coming over to the house, it doesn't always have to be spick and span clean. It, it doesn't always have to be, um, you know, the five-course meal. Like, it's very possible and doable, and the more that it's shown to them how doable this is and to be in somebody's home, then it goes, okay, that's possible. How about you come over to my home this time? Maybe after six months, we start getting it. Now we're talking. Now it no longer has to be just the designated. I think that's a, a great starting point, Jack, having the designated leaders. They can continue with it. But I really do think that that would pass down through other members as yeah, well. Yeah, if it's the same people doing I mean, obviously you want your elders to continue, but if nobody else is doing it after five, ten years, well, there's something messed up. You need to be bringing other people to the point where they can participate in that. That'll take us to the last part because that, that kind of is a little bit of foot in both camps, which is shepherding, leadership, eldering uh, category of things we might change. And so... Um, Will, this goes a little bit also to Joe's point about the youth and all that, so why don't you go ahead and get started on your first one. Yeah, so this is something that, um, again, we tried to to implement a little bit down here in Decatur, and obviously I think it needs to be implemented everywhere. But um, I guess my change number three under this umbrella would be a much more, trying to figure out the best way to put it, a a much higher emphasis on mentoring, um, older to younger. Titus 2, we have referenced many times on this podcast. You've got the older women teaching the younger women. You've got the older men teaching the younger men. And as we just kind of belabored the point when we're talking about the young people, is that a lot of young people don't know how to talk to older people. And the, the main reason is they never get put in those positions to talk to the older people. They're segregated out into their own class. They're segregated out into their own events. Um, they maybe sit together, you know, nothing wrong with that, obviously, but everything that they do is with people of their own age group, as Joe brought up, same thing at school. And so sitting across from an older person at a, uh, you know, fellowship meal table, they don't really know how to enter, how to, how to carry on a conversation. And to their defense, there's a lot of older people that don't really know how to talk to young people because it's the exact same thing. They haven't really had to. And so I think, and again, this one, we'd have to flesh out a little bit more. I don't have anything concrete, um, to go over, but there, there needs to be a much bigger emphasis on mentorship, on mentoring. Uh, obviously, that needs to be done with the elders, but I would, you know, I would say whether you're an elder or whether you're not an elder, take the time to carry out Titus 2. Older women teach the younger women how to be homemakers, how to be discreet, chase, how to love their husbands. Older men teach the younger men, but what that involves is actually being together. And again, so that does speak to Joe's point about, hey, pull them out of the kids' classes, get them together. 
Um, sit them together at fellowship meal tables. Again, get, get them into each other's homes. All this stuff kind of overlaps, but I'm not saying necessarily a program, but you, but make sure one of the changes that I would make is make sure that our congregation understands the value, the importance, and really the, the imperative nature of, of mentorship, of having older, wiser individuals who have had the experiences, who maybe made mistakes and learned from them, who have the Bible knowledge, taking time, spending time with those who are younger. And I'm not just talking about teenagers, 70 year olds mentoring 30 year olds, right? 60 year olds mentoring 25 year olds. We don't currently in a lot of places have that culture. We have the segregation. Everybody has their own group. I would think there needs to be a much bigger emphasis on mentoring from older members to younger members. And again, getting everybody together in these ways would, would be a big catalyst for that. That's the, the disciple making thing we've been talking right, about, exactly. you know, the, the cheesecakes illustration and all that is you, you just can't do it in a classroom. You can't do it in a sermon. Those are great. We make use of those, but it really does take that mentoring. It takes the knowing people it, because so much of, of the one size fits all classes and sermons, you can't ask personal questions. Well, how does this apply to me? This, here's this thing I'm going through. What do I do about this? What would God tell me to do about this? You know, as, as you said, hey, I'm a teenager in high school, and here's the things that I'm challenged with. Hey, I'm a young guy trying to start a career and a family and all this, and, and what do I do? Uh, you know, a, a young woman who, who wants to be married, and uh, there's just so many specific applications that you can't preach sermons to all of those people every week. You can't preach uh, to all of them in every way, in every specific way, all year long. And so you have to have that those, those mentoring, uh, shepherding, discipling relationships. We've also talked a lot about the idea of individuality. Just in America in general, I think we're very individual-focused. This takes you focusing on the multi-generational faithfulness. We need to be thinking about the generations that came before us, how we can keep up, you know, the we, we thank them for what they've done and passing it down to us. But then we also need to recognize that, man, I need to be thinking about my grand, great, great, great grandkids in 200 years. Will they be faithful? Will they be doing these things? And you know what? If I can help somebody else's great, great, great grandkids be faithful as well, that's my Christian duty too. We need to be thinking backwards and forwards a lot more than we do instead of just thinking about the individual in the moment of, hey, at least I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but, you know, poor Sam over here or whatever, who's the 10-year-old, he's going to be walking away from God in eight years. Did you know that? If you step in and help him, maybe he'll stay faithful, and who knows, maybe his kids, his his great-grandkids end up being huge name, or you know, huge people for Christ that are just, you know, really, really necessary for the kingdom. And maybe that's because you stepped in and helped Sam at 10 years old. You took him under your wing and mentored him there. You don't know. That's the whole point, is you don't know the the impact you might have on somebody if you just take them aside, spend a, a moment with them, take them out for a cheeseburger, get to know them, ask them some questions, pray with them, show them how to study their Bible. Like, it's a, it's a great, it's a very cool thing, really. It's a very cool thing to be able to mentor somebody, but we don't do it, wow, they wouldn't want to hear from me anyway. How do you know? Maybe if you take some time to get to know them and to listen, maybe they would want to hear from you. Just like they could be close to their grandparents, you could be a second set of grandparents for that kid. We just, I, Will, I love this point. I think mentoring has to come in. Discipleship has to come in. And just recognizing that, you know, which is why I don't like the teens, a lot of times youth groups have youth ministers are 23 years old. It's like, man, you just got out of there. And that's no offense to you, Will. One of the great things for you is you didn't really grow up with a ton of the youth group culture, a little bit, but like you kind of, 
you got you went with your dad. You talked to all sorts of people. So you're a great mentor because you weren't you didn't just come out of that system. Like you grew up in a completely different system and are teaching these kids another way and mentoring them in a, in a different way than they usually get. That's what makes you effective and successful in your role. But you're also recognizing, man, I got to tie to the older end of the families. And so I, I think you've got, I think you hit this one on the head. Well, and regardless, I don't have the experience of somebody who's 65, no matter how much I might want to. Um, and one other thing I want to say on this before we move on, you know, we got to wrap up. Um, one of the things that I've run into specifically down here, um, and I would imagine gets run into other places, is initially because this is so, you've, y'all have already said it, because it's so awkward, because it's so different, kind of countercultural. The older people, maybe they try to reach out to the younger and it doesn't get received super well. Or like, well, they're not just not that interested. Man, be persistent about it. It is going to be strange at first. It's going to be maybe awkward at first or, or weird at first. But if, if somebody if somebody who's older is, is really diligently uh, trying and is persistent with the fact that, hey, I really want to take you under my wing. I really want to mentor you in a spiritual manner. Again, it's going to be strange at first. It's going to be different at first. But don't let that be the... Well, they, they weren't interested, so I guess I'm out. Don't don't let that be your response. That's, that's the only thing I wanted to add there. Sure, sure. Okay, so on the outline, I go next, but I'm going to go last because let's, let's get Joe's latest hot take out of the way. <laughs> the interesting thing to me is Joe had this on his outline, but when we put it out to the public, you know, the Facebook group, a few people were thinking along the same line. So Sorry, you Joe, it's it, not as gonna, hot of a take as you thought. <laughs> I'm going to uh, critique it. Wow. I'm going to push back a little bit, uh, which might surprise some people coming from, from me. But uh, go ahead and you roll with it, and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, then I'll, and then I'll tell you why I'm right. Um, my thought is I would, if I was starting from scratch, I would look at the idea of paid elders and not paid preachers. That we would, and and where this is coming from is the overemphasis on, we, we basically have pastors. We don't want to admit it, but we basically have pastors. Well, that's what I'm paying you for, brother, that you go evangelize for us, that you be our spirituality, that you be the guy who takes the lead role in people's spirituality. And so when it comes to dealing with spiritual uh, spiritual issues and counseling people through those things, who do they come to? The preachers or the preacher or the elders? Almost always to the preacher. That's not his role. The elder is over your soul. Who's going to answer for your soul at the judgment? If the preacher gives you poor advice or whatever, who's going to answer for your soul? The elder will. That's why I think, and, and this is laid out in Scripture as well, that the worker is worthy of his wage, and I think that's in the context of elders. I think paying elders is appropriate. That's why I like tent makers. I like Paul. Um, you know, and, and I told the church here that and we pay a certain amount each week. Whoever gets up to preach gets the money. I think that's great. That's what I was going to ask. Um, so flesh that out a little bit more as far as who who would do the preaching. I'm assuming you'd have, and they would still get paid, obviously, just would not be one guy. Is that kind of what you're going for here? I think it wouldn't necessarily be one guy. I think that the elders would take on the main role of at least the spiritual education of the church. But here's the thing for me, and I realize that kind of puts me out of a job, but it's not really a job. I told the guys here, I feel that this is a this isn't to be arrogant at all, but I feel that that speaking is a spiritual gift. I've put a decade plus into this. I've uh, been preaching, you know, in some capacity, either through future preachers, whatever, since ten. I'm really passionate about preaching. I love it. Therefore, I said I will get up and preach. If you pay me, great. If you don't pay me, great. I still feel like it's something I can give to the church. It's a spiritual gift that I have to be able to impart this to you. If you ever decide to go get somebody else, go for it. I'm still going to worship here. It, it's not, you know, I, I, it's not about me. It's not the Joe show. It's like, I feel that I'm capable of doing it. Therefore I will. If we get elders and they want to step in and do it. Fantastic. 
Workers worthy of his wage, if you want to pay per week the way we do, I think that's great. But the way we currently have it structured is, well, brother, we're paying you 60 a year. We're paying you 90 a year. That's what you're supposed to do. You need to show up to everything because we pay you for that. It, it makes it so corporate. It makes it so preacher or, or really pastor, but preacher-centric that I think it hurts a lot of other men in the congregation. It causes the elders to not have to step up spiritually. So I would pay the elders and not pay the preacher. That's that's my uh, hot take. As I said, uh, quite a few people agreed with that. Some had the thing that if we're going to pay somebody, it should be strictly an evangelist, somebody to go out into the community, uh, you know, missionary kind of things of, of go make connections. And, and I, I get that I point. Is What's that? I don't agree with that. Okay. Um, you know, but somebody, well, essentially they think that's the role, is, is the role of an evangelist. Um, I'm going to say, first of all, you mentioned worker is worthy of his wages, but he says more specifically in 1 Corinthians 9.14, those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Uh, and so Paul outlines it's it's perfectly fine, fine, not just for elders, but for preachers. The other thing I would say is when you read Timothy and Titus, you, you understand that there's a very specific role for a man who is not an elder, but also not just a regular member. Uh, I, I agree with your critique that we've gone toward this pastoring system. Oh, that's the preacher's job. That's what we pay you for. You go do that. You, you know, you do the visiting. You do the evangelizing. You do the, the, the calls. You do the encouragement. You do the, the scheduling, the planning, the envisioning. All like That's you, buddy. You're the CEO of the church, essentially, except you don't actually get to make decisions. I mean, it's a very screwed up situation that we have. Um, I fully agree with that critique. On the other hand, with this Timothy Titus, you know, the, the existence of Timothy and Titus tell us there's a role. Both of those men were told, you appoint the elders. Also, here's how you address the elders when they go wrong. It's kind of a checks and balances kind of thing, right? Of, you know, don't rebuke them harshly, and you take two or three witnesses, but if there's an elder that's a problem, here's how you handle them, Timothy. Here's how you disciple people. Here's how you pass these things on. Um, you stand up and proclaim the word of God. You teach the people these things. And so this idea that it's kind of we would be holier if we got rid of that role, then who's going to do all those things that Timothy and Titus were supposed to do? Uh, who is, who is going to appoint the elders? And, and so I've seen some people say, you know, just have all of the men of the church uh, get up and speak. Well, number one, James 3 says, not let not many of you become teachers. I think we need to be very wary of that. Number two, not everyone's qualified, mature enough, or whatever to get there. I fully agree with your point about elders teaching and preaching more, you know, like them being heavily involved in that. I think if you have a Bible class schedule, you know, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and the two sermons on Sunday especially, so there's four lessons a week, an elder should be doing at least one of those uh, at all times. Uh, it, I Just the authority, the, the showing the church that they're involved, all that, I think, you know, I would recommend that. So I, I'm with you on that. But... There's very much this trend towards if we get rid of the preacher, we're going to solve that problem. No, the problem is to do the role properly. Don't make him a pastor. Don't throw every burden on him, but let him do the role that Timothy and Titus were put in to do. Okay, so here's my here's my um, rebuttal, mm -hmm. I'll say. So first off, my Bible stops at 1 Corinthians 8, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> just kidding. In that context... Right after, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, verse 16. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Um, he says, what then is my reward, verse 18, that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Yes, you are right. 
They have a right to earn their pay. It's partly why I say the elders should be paid, because I think they should be doing it. I think Timothy and Titus's role was to establish elderships. I think once the eldership is established, their role would diminish. Not not completely. I think there's still a maybe a role out there for somebody to help, but it's because woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I have a burning in my bones from Jeremiah, right? Like Jeremiah. Um, I have a, a desire to preach it. I have a spiritual gift to preach it. Therefore, I will help the congregation in whatever way I can. But what we see is the preacher kind of be a buffer between the people and the elders. And I just think that that role is, is it's so easy to, I don't know, abuse it. It's so easy to get it wrong that I'm yeah, not over, saying there shouldn't become be anybody. On it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just finding the balance there because I see what you're saying, that somebody is, you know, they can make their living from the gospel. We also see a lot of men who don't, they're almost, you know, they're, they're tent makers. Um, because they realize, hey, this is something I'm called to, but I'm not going to charge you for it. Uh, the elders, on the other hand, if you're, look, it takes a lot of time to go to people's houses and, and, and to to pray with them, to help them, to to do whatever they can to really shepherd their souls. That's a big job. That takes time. That's not like most of the time we have elders that, you know, they show up to church and, and I'm not downing elders. There's a lot of great ones out there, but where they'll pray with people, they'll go to the hospital, things like that. That's fantastic. But in terms of shepherding souls we don't see a lot of that in terms of being able to teach and i know what the critique will get is in first Timothy three that means they're able to teach it doesn't mean they do all the teaching well it basically what's the be point like, of well, having the qualification in there if they're not going to do bingo it right they're hospitable well they know how to have people over they don't have to actually do it but they they know how to have people over. no the idea is you will do it so if you're over people's souls, wouldn't you want to do it? That solves also the James 3.1 problem, let not many of you become teachers. I agree. I don't think every man should be getting up there and preaching. I think every man should be getting up there and having a song, a verse, a, a you know, a prayer, whatever it is. I think that's good. Not everybody's been gifted with the ability to speak, and not everybody has the gospel burning in their bones to get out. Some people do. They need to make use of it. If they can get paid doing it, I'm okay with it. Um... But once again, I would not pay them a huge salary per year. I would pay them based on what they do. That's that's my uh, belief on it, at least. So I see your points. I'm not against it. Uh, like I, I'm not saying that there's not points to be made there. I just think that we're probably talking the same thing, just with a few different adjustments between us. Will, who's right? <laughs> I don't want to be a tiebreaker here. Um, I've, we're no longer friends if you say Jack. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I've actually just in my in my head toyed around with the idea of paid elders because I think it makes sense simply because of like what Joe said it is a big job it, it, a lot of hours go into it and to if if you are an elder obviously you're going to be married and so to devote your time to a full-time regular secular job to devote your time to shepherding the church and to still have time left over for your wife not a lot of hours left and so I I, I agree with uh, you know the idea that hey maybe we should look into paying the elders, uh, it would free up their time, right? It, it would give them more of an opportunity um, to, you know, go out and do their shepherding. You'd obviously have to then deal with the, is somebody wanting to be an elder just for the, the pay side of things? But then obviously that would probably disqualify them in general. So you could you could work around that. As far as the preacher thing goes, um, I, I see both sides. I'm not going to come come down necessarily on one. I, I don't have a, a, a tiebreaker vote here. I um, Jack, I agree. Timothy Titus, there does seem to be a role there that can't just be done away with. Um, the checks and balances thing I agree with. Um, I, I think, Joe, what you said as far as the 
the way the system currently is structured, because it's not just the the spiritual growth. We expect the preacher to do all the hospital visits, right? We expect the preacher to do all the um, the, the benevolent side of things, do all the evangelism side of things. I think if we can get away from that mindset of we're just paying the preacher to do all the stuff so that we don't have to, then I think having one one guy that that maybe handles the the the, the minister side of things is is not the end of the world. I just think on the surface, I agree with Joe. You, you got to watch the mindset. You got to make sure that you're not getting into that. Well, we pay him to do that. Um, so that again, that kind of well, is hedging my bets there, sitting on the fence. But I, I see value in both sides. That goes to Act Six. You know, the the apostle saying, "Let's appoint deacons to go handle this because we've got to focus on teaching the word." This isn't our job. This needs to be done, and it's a good thing, but it's not our job. The physical and side so that of division, things, right. Of, right, right. And the division of labor thing, I think, is, is a very important point to all this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and finish with my last point here uh, on, on eldering. brings us to the end of our discussion. It would be, uh, you know, it, starting from scratch, I, I think it would be helpful to have codified in place for the eldership what church discipline looks like and what is disciplinable. Because when we talk about church discipline, how often does that come into play? Is it, you know, okay, so you've got a guy who, like, everyone knows he's committing adultery, you know, he's taken on a mistress, he's moved out on his wife or whatever. Okay, we'll discipline that guy. Yeah, but I think there's room for more than that. Uh, Let's say, for an example, every church has those, those people that show up once every two to three months or, you know, they'll, they'll come three weeks in a row, you know, after they've been gone for four months and everyone gets excited, hey, they're coming back, and then they disappear again. And you kind of do, if you, you have that discussion. Well, there's always people like that, you know, so you just can't get them to come more. Well, you can. You can lay down an ultimatum. You can go to them and say, number one, maybe you haven't been taught, but this isn't okay. And I'm, everyone knows, I'm just going to put it out there in case. I'm not talking about shut-ins, people with physical disabilities, people with sicknesses, people with... I'm talking about the people with, hey, it's summertime, and we're going to go out to the lake every Sunday morning. Uh, it's kids' baseball season, and so uh, we've got games. Sorry, we, we just can't make it this Sunday. That kind of thing. You go to them and say, that's not a choice you're allowed to make. This is important. You need to be here. Uh, if they continue on, you tell them, you know, you, you go you through the strikes. Follow Matthew 18, yeah. right. Yeah, you, you just go through it of, this is not okay. And because we're so worried about people's feelings, and boy, we're so worried about numbers, boy, we, we really want those people, and maybe they'll come. Let's worry about God's feelings. Let's worry about what he thinks about telling somebody it's okay to come in and out of a relationship with him, to show up and, and take of the body and blood of Jesus after essentially giving Jesus the middle finger for four months every Sunday, and then, yeah, I'll come and take this. No, that like that's not okay. And that goes back to my kind of closed communion point is like you say, you don't get this privilege. This is a privilege. We don't think of it as a privilege. We don't think of the fellowship of the church, the the assembling with the church, all of that is a privilege. And we again, the consumeristic thing is we're lucky to have you, not the other way around. You're lucky to have Jesus in this church. You're blessed to have this opportunity, not, oh, they're here. Thank goodness, man, maybe we can get them to come next week. No, we got to stop being desperate for people. We looked at John 6 and Jesus, you know, saying, take it or leave it. Eat my body and blood or go home. And they said, okay, we're going home. He said, all right, see ya. That has to be our attitude. And so when I say church discipline, it is things like that. It is sporadically attending people, people that, you know, just won't stop. Like some, some people you just kind of see on their social media or whatever else, they're out there doing things they shouldn't be doing. 
go address that. And if there's not repentance, and you know what? We live in this time where they can skip down to the, the church three miles down the road and call it good. And so I think there needs to be more intercommunication from churches about, like, hey, here's why we didn't let them you know, take communion with us anymore. On the other hand, the other church might just let them. You can't control that. What you can control is what you are giving to God. And so that sounds harsh. I think we need better fences. We need better gatekeeping. And that's not to keep away people that should, that Jesus wants to come to him. It's to keep away the people that are disrespecting him. I mean, again, I've, I've gone to the Old Testament a lot in this episode, but you think about the kind of people, if they came unwashed for worship, you know, when, uh, when he's calling them to Sinai, he says, three days, get clean, ceremonially clean. If you don't, there's going to be trouble. You know, you're going to die. And when they come to the temple, these people aren't allowed to come to the temple. You're not allowed to come to celebrate the Passover if you're unclean. You can't touch dead things and do these things. Cleanse yourselves. Get yourself ready because this is serious. This is a privilege, and we don't treat it like a privilege. And so I think church discipline, establishing that, codifying what it would take to discipline and what that would look like would go a long way toward helping in that direction. So are you advocating sending letters to other churches? Because I've heard this done before sending letters to other churches in the area saying, hey, this person is to be, you know, not fellowshipped with. I, I think churches you, need better like? interchurch communication in general, number one. Uh, but number two, yeah, just communicating, hey, we hear so-and-so's going if here, here's why we did If they're really three miles down the road, have the elders go talk to the other elders in person. You know, I, I would skip exactly. I would skip the letter and just and just handle yeah. things that way. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that'd be that hard to do. Jack, it's a great point. People treat God as a convenient option rather than something that is to be valued, rather than, you know, time with his family as something to be treasured and prioritized. And so I don't have a lot to add. I 100% agree that this this mindset of, well, we'll just, we'll just adopt everybody under the same fold, the people that are here, you know, one Sunday out of the month versus the people that are, you know, dedicating their lives to Christ, they're basically the same. No, they're not. And it, it's it's way past time that we stop treating those things as the same. So other than that, I don't have anything to add. That's a great point. We, uh, there's a big church I know that we had some uh, friends that had an issue, went to, went to some, you know, went to the elders and they were told, well, how about you just disfellowship him yourself? You just break communication. Whoa. <laughs> said, whoa, 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 hold on. Like, you're not going to do it from the church? Well, we just don't know enough, you know, about what's going on. And so you go ahead and just disfellowship him yourself. Like, what? Right. We need a better understanding of what disfellowshipping is all about, recognizing this is done out of love and for the person's soul, first and foremost. And second, Jack, as you said, it's for fences. We're all trying to be holy here. You're not. Either get with it or see ya. And that's a, man, people don't like that, but that's exactly what your point comes down to, Jack, is yes, it's about the person's soul. We love them. We we care for them. We want what's best for them. And what's best for them is to recognize the consequences of their actions, which hopefully pulls them back. That's the entire point of Matthew 18. That's the entire point of disfellowshipping is to call them back to Christ. But if they don't, we don't have any power over that. You think about the parable of the wedding feast, and that's where the elites, the the people that were called first, the Jewish, you know, the leaders, the, the Jesus kind of hinting at, just ignored the invitation. No, we're not interested. That no. So Jesus says, go out to the highways and byways. Just go invite anybody and everybody, and they did, and a lot of people come in, and so that that removes the elitism of the church. It's not we're better than you. It's anybody is welcome, but if you come, you better show up ready for it, 
because the, the the people that came that weren't in their wedding clothes were said, get out, you're not welcome. And so, man, do we have that attitude toward anything? When you've got this desperate consumeristic thing of, man, as numbers, 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 get everybody in, let's not scare anybody off, let's not hurt anybody's feelings, you can't ever do that. You can't ever turn someone away at the door and say, you're not dressed for it. And I'm not talking about being dressed in their Sunday best. The metaphor of dressed of bringing God your best, prepared for, for this because it really matters. And when that's not happening, and, and this is not something to be used lightly. It's not something to um, just do all the time for the fun of it. And, I, and by the fun of it, I mean just like, hey, here's a chance to go discipline somebody. Not that at all. But the ability to say, this person is not taking this seriously enough. We need to teach them to take it seriously. And if they don't, if they still don't want to, we need to let them know this is not for them. And there's a big difference between people trying. I think that's your point. Yes, exactly. Between people, look, we're not we're not ever going to get it perfect. You miss a Sunday. We're just fellowship. No, no, we understand. There's a there's a level here. This is for the serious well, situations, but the it's immature just what we and the disobedient serious. as well. You, you know, don't don't consider immaturity and disobedience the same. But when you know better, do better. So uh, th- that would be the last one on on eldering. So I'm going to recap everything real quick as we close. Um, we went over changes we'd make to worship. Uh, Joe brought uh, kind of making a longer scripted Sunday, but also male participation, everyone bringing a song, a scripture, a prayer, something they would like to contribute. We talked about Lord's Supper changes, uh, less individualistic, a little bit longer time spent on it, less of a little bit of a tiny bite of a snack and, and really emphasizing it more. Will talked about uh, seating arrangements, so it's more communal, fellowship-minded rather than audience-minded. Um Involvement. Joe uh, gave us the No Kids Programs Classes Youth Group VBS <laughs> take. Uh, so we'd be very interested to hear people's takes on that. Um, Will mentioned the Sunday uh, afternoon or PM uh, open house, home meeting kind of thing, opportunity for extended fellowship on Sundays. Uh, and then I mentioned elders and, and other leaders in the church taking on the role of hospitality uh, at least a couple times a month to get to know people more personally. Uh, and then eldering on shepherding the people. Uh, Will talked about mentoring, older taking on the younger um, with the teens, with, with young families. Uh, great idea there. Um, Joe mentioning no paid preachers, but paid elders. And then finally, uh, church discipline guidelines enacted or uh, codified and enacted by the eldership. And so, um, again, these are things that hypothetically make for you interesting have the thought experience. church if you did it. What's that? <laughs> I said it'd make the perfect church if the you did it. The perfect church. That's right. We've got it. That's People it. just listen to us. No, but, but yeah. it makes for a great thought experiment. And I, I think hopefully it got your mind churning as a listener, the deep thinkers. Do some deep thinking on this one. Uh, what would you change if you were starting from scratch? What What do you look at and think, we could do this better, or the way we do this could be improved upon in this exact way? Um We've got the Think Deeper podcast Facebook page. Drop us a comment under the episode. There's there's the post on the Focus Press Facebook group. Uh, join in. Uh, this is a really interesting one to me. I hope it was interesting to you guys. Uh, I know you guys have a couple things to add. Real quick, I just want to I just want to emphasize again, you know, what Jack said at the beginning, and that is don't don't use us as a you know tool to, to beat your elders over the head with. Hey, these guys said this, but at <laughs> yep. the same time, on the other hand, don't be afraid to go to your elders and say, hey. Have y'all thought about this? And, and maybe this could be a good thing to try and, and bring these things up. And obviously, if it doesn't go your way, don't pitch a fit and don't do those type of things. But don't be afraid to, to brainstorm and to try to to engineer change within congregations. If it's truly something that's going to be spiritually beneficial and edifying, don't be afraid to, to throw that out there is the only is the last thing I'll say.
if you disagree with us, which I imagine I probably have a few who disagreed <laughs> with me, um, please let us know. Truly, again, the Facebook page, message us. Um, you know, Jack will have to deal with all those, so try not to. Yeah, if if it's for me, I'm I'll sure pass them pass directly on to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, seriously, man, it it is. We appreciate everybody's feedback. This is just about us being holier. That's all we're looking for. As long as we can ground it in scripture, we're not trying to go out again with the fog machine. It's a joke, but truly, like if you have some ideas. Man, we love to hear him. Doesn't it doesn't mean we'll necessarily agree. That's okay. We don't all have to agree on these things. It's about us being holier together, and and so that's kind of the the whole purpose of this episode. But yeah, fellas, I appreciate the thoughts that uh, that you guys shared. I think those were we didn't we didn't talk all week about this as I mentioned at the beginning because we wanted to wait kind of till the last second. So about ten minutes before we got on, we we shared. We really did think about just dropping them during the episode without any any anybody knowing you know, any of us knowing each other's answers, but we felt like there'd probably be a little too much overlap there. So I'm glad I had a a little bit of a a heads up for Joe, uh, taking a baseball bat to vacation (laughs) Bible school. So, um, but yeah, I mean, as as we Sorry, everybody who does, I am not condemning anybody. I'm just, this is what I think would be better. Well, yeah. So I'd say a final word is take it seriously because we're taking, we're talking about serious matters. This stuff matters. This is not just goofing around totally, but take it as seriously as, as we're making it as we're not, judging throwing out condemning anything like that we're brainstorming and and we hope you got you brainstorming as well and so i want to thank everybody for listening uh as always subscribe if you're listening on youtube drop a like uh drop a comment let us know you're listening uh check us out on our facebook page join in the conversation i'll put up a post for the conversation specifically for this episode on what would you change uh let us know i'd I'd be very interested to hear we've already got some feedback on that question Uh, Give us some more. And uh, as always, we'll just keep on thinking deeper and we will talk to you guys next week.